If people ask me this often, I've probably been asked this over 100 times in my life, and maybe you've asked that question to me, or you've asked someone else. What's God's will for my life? You've heard it, maybe you've said it, maybe there's been a point where you're trying to discern what is God's will? What am I supposed to do? It's as if God's will is like this mysterious thing out there that you got to kind of find or, or plow your way through the fog. It's like, as soon as it gets clear, I'll know what it is. And it's like, can I just work my way through this collection? Should I go here? Should I leave here? And it's like this, it's supposed to be mysterious. And it's like, all of our lives, we search and try to find God's will for us. Should I change jobs? Should I go to this school? Should I buy that house? Should I join this Bible study? Should I, should I, should I? And so we genuinely want to know God's will. And so when someone comes to me and asks that question, I know what their intent is. I want to live my life in such a way that it directly lines up with God. Yet, it seems like we're always looking for it. It's like, I hope I find God's will. And it's like, I hope I step this way, step that way, step this way. Hope that's the direction that God wants me to go. As if we're uncertain somehow of God's will. It's as if we don't know it. It's as if there's not a place to find. It's as if this is spooky thing between us and God, and God will mysteriously speak it through a really, 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 really holy woman or man of God. What if I told you it's so clear that it's planned out, that it's written out in a few sentences, that it's so clear that you could go there right now and say, this is God's will for my life. It's as if we can't find it though. And so we're constantly looking for it when it's right there. I mean, have you ever lost your cell phone? Well, you thought you lost your cell phone. And so, you know that path you go on? It's like, first it's like, i got to find my cell phone. And so you walk to your landline, if you still have one, and you dial your cell phone number, and then you listen. Or you grab your kid's phone, and, and, and you dial it, and then you listen. But what if it's on mute, so you really hear, try to hear... You're just hoping it's somewhere close. And it's like, I hope I can find this phone that's lost. And so you go on this journey of trying to find the phone. And then there's always someone, whether, men, it's your wife who so kindly says to you, where is the last place you left it? It's like, if I knew the last place I left it, I'd go there. It's like, why do we say dumb stuff, by the way? Seriously, if we knew the last place it was at, wouldn't you just go there and find it? I mean, this has happened more frequently even to me as I, as I age. I have reading glasses when I turn 43. It's like all of a sudden it was like everything's out here to read. And so, so I got reading glasses. I have them all over the house. I have them, you know, they're in cupboards. They're on dressers. I sit on them. You know, they're in my car. They're, you know, you just buy dollar ones. And some of you know what I'm talking about right now. And so one of these uh, past weeks ago, I couldn't find my reading glasses, so I, I, and I, I searched all over the place, and seemed like, where are all these reading glasses? You know, I got like 50 pair of them, I couldn't find them, so I walked to the kitchen, and I asked, uh, Hannah happened to be in the kitchen, I said, Hannah, have you seen my reading glasses? She looked at me, and she just chuckled, I said, all right, um, she says, dad, they're on your head. <laughs> it is so obvious that they're right there. What if 
I told you that the will of God is so obvious that it's right there, that you don't even have to search. You don't have to get your other phone. You don't have to ask someone. You just, every time you go to that spot, the last place God left it is right here. And every day of your life, you can go right there. And so when the next person says, well, where's the last place you left it? You can say, it's right here. Grab your Bibles. I'm going to show you God's will for your life right now. And turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Do you need a Bible and you came today without a Bible? Hold your hand up. Our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home with you. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. If you've done this for 10 straight weeks and you have nine Bibles at home, bring them back and we'll give them out to someone else. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 16 to 18, and we're going to see what God's will is now, right now. Stand with me and we'll read it out loud together. 1 Thessalonians 5. 16 to 18. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I feel like saying, there it is, go home. Shut your Bibles and go home. There it is. Let's just read that one more time so you get it. Ready? Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You may have a seat. Seems simple, doesn't it? I mean, the author here, Paul, couldn't have said it more clearly. He says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's not mysterious. It's not foggy. It's not lost. There it is. And yet, we go throughout our lives trying to discern what God's will is for us when here it is. These three imperative commands from Scripture are exactly God's will for us. But let's face the facts. Most Christians don't live out God's will in their lives. We don't. We don't live out God's will in our lives. Because we have elevated misery and complaining or rejoicing in praise. We, as Christ followers, have elevated misery and complaining over rejoicing in praise. Seriously, just ask yourself a question. Don't hold your hand up and convict yourself of this. Do you rejoice always? When these things are happening on the peripherals of your life, on your way to Grace Community Church today, when your wife was like five minutes later than you, or your kids didn't do what you wanted them to do, did you just rejoice for them and for her as you sat in that driveway for 10 extra minutes? Do you rejoice always? Do you rejoice always when your job is taken away from you? Do you rejoice always when you get a a report from your doctor that isn't what you wanted or expected? Do you rejoice always when your child runs away from God? Do you rejoice always when you lose your job? Do you rejoice always when this, this guy now becomes your boss that you worked on the shift with him on the line and you couldn't stand him and now he's over you? Do you rejoice always. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to rejoice always. So, is, is joy something that's possible for us? Where does joy come from? Joy is not something we try to find in something. It's already in us. As a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's deeper than happiness. It comes deep within our hearts. And so, When we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, when we acknowledge him as Lord and say, when we repent of our sins and he becomes the Lord and leader of our lives, 
joy should be and is deeply rooted in your hearts. As a kid, I used to sing this song, and I'll date myself here, and some of you did too, who have a church background. And some of you don't have a church background are glad that we don't sing this song anymore. But it goes something like this. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. This is a church group here. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart too. Oh, you sound so good. Everyone who's never sung that song is so glad we've ne- we don't sing that anymore. But if that's the case, that we have the joy, joy, joy down in our heart, we ask the question, where, where, where? Down in our heart. Joy is something that comes as a result of a saving knowledge with Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells us this, that when we are saved, the Holy Spirit invades our lives, and the fruit of the Spirit lives in us. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy is a byproduct of being saved. So, it's not something we try to go get. It's in us. And that song is very, very theologically correct. Where is it at? Down in my heart, where? Down in my heart, where? Yet in Christian circles, we say things like, I wish I had more joy. I wish I could find joy. Or we even will go so far as to say this, that I'm not certain I can have joy. Yet, where is the joy in the life of a believer? Maybe, just maybe, many of us have replaced it with our complaints of our minds. And it's swallowed up because we complain more than we do rejoice. And so our minds continue to think of all the things we don't like. And so what we've done, we've suppressed this joy and we've buried it deep, 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 deep down in our hearts that it can't get out because we look at the outside and what's happening to us instead of recognizing that we have the joy that's within us from Jesus Christ. In Christian circles, we say things like, well, that's just how that person is wired. You know, they're just, they don't, you know, they don't reflect it because that's their personality. Like, you know, joy just doesn't resonate out of them. Well, I think, really? You're excused to bellyache. You're excused to worry. You're excused to suck the life out of another person and their family. The last time I checked, Jesus rewired us when we got saved. And he took this old man and gave us a new man. He gave us a new heart. And this new heart was invaded by the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's not something that you just kind of go catch and do. It's already in us. Maybe, just maybe, we've learned to accept sin as part for the course. We're saying, well, it's okay if we bellyache. It's okay if we suppress joy. It's okay, it's okay. It's just how I'm wired. These verses here, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, are in the imperative command form in the original language, which means this is the hardest way to say something. In other words, if we could read this, it would say, you must do this now. This is God's will for you now. It's the strongest way that you can say something. It's a way of saying that there should be joy inside of you that comes out of you. Jeremiah tried to say it in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. He talked about this, and this this is how he tried to describe when Jesus invades our hearts. He said it this way, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. And then he says, indeed, I cannot hold it in. 
There's this sense where this, this joy of this relationship with Christ is so deeply rooted in our lives and it's bubbling inside of us and it's changed us so dramatically and we want to tell others about it. There's no way that when you would bump into me that you're not going to hear about Jesus. He says, indeed, I cannot hold it in. Does that describe your life? Do people kind of bump into you and Jesus oozes out? What comes out of you when the outside stuff isn't going the way that you want it to go? There's joy supposed to be inside of our hearts. Let me try to demonstrate this if I can right now. Have you ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater? It's like, man, it's hard to hold that thing underwater. It's like, and if you slide off the slide, it's like it slides off of you. And, and so you get a couple people on it. It's like, let's hold the beach ball underwater. So you get in the pool and you try to hold it under. Jeremiah said that there's this thing deeply rooted in me. The word of God rooted in me. Jesus is rooted in me. Joy's rooted in me. The fruit of the spirit is rooted in me. It's like, it's in me. Indeed, I cannot contain it because it's got to get out. Yet... Does it? Is this joy so deep in your heart or is it suppressed down because you worry more and you have anxiety and you're pushing the joy down when the word of God says rejoice always? Is this the picture of your life that no one sees the joy in your life and it's so suppressed and pushed down because you're letting the weight of the world push your joy down? I'm convinced of this. I think our faces are connected to our joy. No, hear me out on this. When the joy is suppressed, your face goes. But when you let it out, it goes. And when you feel the weight of the world, what happens? If you're looking at that and not looking at Jesus, all of a sudden when it's suppressed and you feel the weight, but when you let it out, I think that somehow joy is connected to our faces. And you show me someone who resonates, radiates, a countenance that's bright, a countenance that smiles, a countenance that's alive. I will show you someone who understands that they've got joy, joy, joy deep down in their heart. And indeed, they can't hold it in. Yet, do you? Is that the way you woke up this morning? Or did you wake up? It's deep in our hearts. And Paul says in the text here that we should rejoice how often? Always. So there's this sense that no matter what's happening on the outside, we should be people who rejoice always. Joy doesn't come from out here, Grace Community. It doesn't come, it's not something you try to go find. It's not like I found it in that that Big Mac from McDonald's. Man, it was awesome. And you didn't find it last night if you were a Duke fan and watched Maryland beat Duke. Awesome. But my joy's not connected there because if it was connected there, I'd be depressed most of the year. It's connected deep inside of me. It comes from within, and it should come from within you because the fruit of the Spirit lives in us. It doesn't come from stuff because that will disappear. 
If your attachment to joy is, you know what, everything's fine. I got a good job. I got a nice motorcycle. I got a nice house. I got beautiful kids. The kids are healthy. My bills are paid. I got this. I have that. I have a vacation home. I have that. I have this. I got, if your joy is attached to anything external, listen to me, it will disappear. Because that's manufactured joy. And at some point, the manufacturer will go out of business. And that will wane. It will no longer be bright and bring you what you need. You can't find joy out there. You can't go manufacture. It's like, I'm going to go find joy. I'm going to go run a marathon and stand at the end. Joy! I'm going to go get this job, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to get this degree and stand at the end of it, and I'm going to have joy. Then I'll have joy. No, joy's already inside of us as believers. That's why Paul says we should rejoice always. But the problem is we suppress it by focusing more on the outside than focusing on who's inside of us and who cares for us and who promises to walk us through whatever's on the outside. Joy comes from within. So you might say, well... The, the guy that wrote this probably, he, he never had trials or troubles in this life. Well, let's see what this man went through who wrote this book. Turn back to 2 Corinthians. Keep your finger here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at the author of 1 of Thessalonians. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This author was Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote this text, and he wrote other books, many books in the New Testament. Some think it's 12, some think it's 13, but he wrote a lot in the New Testament. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the same guy that said we can have joy, rejoice always. Look at chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul says this, the guy that wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And then he says this in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, do not lose what? Though outwardly we are what away? Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is Unseen, For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Turn over and look at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just same author, same man, saying that we can rejoice always. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul said this in verse 23. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 23 says this. Are they servants of Christ? And then he, look, at, look what's in a quote or parentheses here. Am I out of my mind to talk like this? Well, I'd say probably most think you are, Paul. He says, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food, and I have been cold and naked. Praise God, let's rejoice. Look what he says in chapter 12 then, in verse 7. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly 
great revelation. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, as if all that other stuff wasn't enough. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for whom? For my power is made perfect in weakness. Then he says this, therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses and my struggles. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Then he says this, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, who faced more than most human beings have ever faced, tells us in 1 Thessalonians, hey, rejoice always, always. I always ask this question, what part of always isn't always? It means always. In fact, you know what the word always means in the Greek? Always. That's what it is. It means all the time. Joy comes when we put our eyes on Jesus and not on our circumstances. Romans chapter 5, turn back there and we'll quickly turn there. And this is what the same author said. Romans chapter 5. He had a lot to say about sufferings and persecution. Romans chapter 5. Look at verses 3 through 5. Romans chapter 5. Paul said this. He said, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Look at verse 3 again. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. And I'm going to say, enough of that, Paul, would you? Because we know that suffering produces what? Perseverance what? And character what? And hope does not what us? So Paul goes to this character, perseverance, and hope does not disappoint us. We rejoice in our sufferings, no matter what you're facing, no matter what seems like the Lord has taken away, no matter what came upon you, what sickness, no matter what's happening in your marriage, no matter what's happened in the workplace, no matter what's happening at home, no matter what's happening to your neighbor, no matter what's happening to you, you can rejoice in your sufferings because God can turn it into something incredible and we develop character as a result of it. The only way you can find out What it takes to develop character is to walk through it. Most Christians spend their lives trying to navigate out of difficult trials. And by doing so, you never fully develop the character and perseverance that God wants for you to have to succeed in this life. Somewhere along the road, someone said that a Christian should never face trials and difficulties. Yet it's in those times that we grow the closest to our Lord, and he becomes the dearest to us. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's when we lean upon him in difficult times. By the way, it is impossible to rejoice and worry at the same time. You cannot. It's impossible. You can say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and and worry. Worry, by the way, is sin. S-I-N. And so if you excuse yourself and you say, you know, I'm just kind of prone to worry. It's kind of how it's wired. My mom was a worrier and her mom was a worrier. And my uncle, he was a worrier. My aunt was a worrier. You know, I just kind of passed down to me. Just something I have to get over. Listen to me. It's called S-I-N, sin. It means we don't trust God. It means that we don't believe that he's in control, that he's sovereign over the universe and over our lives. It's impossible to worry and rejoice at the same time. And when we do that, what happens is we push down and it affects everyone around us and it affects us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, do everything without complaining and griping. Another, everything without complaining and griping. So, 
God's will now is this. Rejoice always, 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 always. Secondly, God's will for us is to pray continually. This does not mean, by the way, that you're 24-7 on your knees and you say, you know, I'm supposed to pray. Pastor Jim said, pray continually and I'm not getting a job and I'm caring for my kids. God will provide. I know he will. I'm just, this is God's will for my life right here, praying continually. It's not the posture as, as important here. It's the, the way you play that out. I think you can pray continually. It's a regular communication with God throughout your day, all the time. Lines are going up. Lines are coming down. You're listening. He's speaking. You're talking. You're, and he's listening to you. It's best demonstrated by us communicating regularly with God. There is nothing that you and I will face, no duty too small, that it would not be improved through prayer. Now, think about that for a second. Nothing. There's nothing that you'll do, nothing that you'll face, that won't be improved through prayer. So why wouldn't we communicate to God? We are to pray consciously, deliberately, repeatedly, and persistently. Our lines are always open as we walk through the day. So, how do we pray? I pray as I'm listening to someone coming to me for questions. People will come and say, Pastor Jim, I got a question for you. Or Dad, I have a question for you. Jim, I have a question for you. And they'll come to me. And as they're talking to me, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, help me to respond with wisdom here. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom to to articulate what you want to be spoken here. And so as people are talking to me, I'm often praying and asking God for wisdom and insight for their situation. I pray when I'm listening to someone. I pray for protection. I pray praises. I pray over. I pray for. I pray against. I pray before and after conversations. I pray in advance. I pray for years over the same thing. But why? Because we connect with the God of the universe who can improve any situation just by having him become part of that situation. A huge part of prayer, though, is listening for his reply. This is where we often go south. A huge part of prayer is listening for his reply. How many times have you picked up your cell phone and someone is on the other end with the cell phone? And so you hear it ringing. You listen, you pop it up, and you begin to listen on your cell phone. And so you find out who it is, and so you talk. And so you want to say something. Hey, how about that? And on the other end, they're going, hey, how about that? And so you wait. I'll let them go. And then so you wait three seconds, and then both of you are saying, blah, 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 blah. And you think, I'll get it this time. Four seconds. One, two, three, four. And they're thinking, one, two, blah, 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 blah. And so neither of you can hear each other. You both want to talk, and no one hears. And so finally, one of you says, you know, Okay, talk! And so you listen. I think often through the day that God is communicating to us. And we're so busy talking to him and asking and and trying to send our request to him that he has already spoken an answer and we're just continually firing back at him. And he's like, stop! I've already given you the answer. I wonder how many times our communication lines are blocked because we're not listening. I wonder when we get to heaven and we look at the telephone bills and the connection between us and Jesus Christ, I wonder how many drop calls we'll see on our end because we were too busy talking instead of listening to God. I wonder when we see the calls that God has made when we're in heaven, I wonder how many times we go to him and we're asking him for answer and he said, I've already told you, check your voicemail. 
I wonder how many voicemail requests or replies have already come to us, have come to us, yet we haven't heard it because we're so busy talking when he has already responded. Sometimes we just need to pull away and just listen to God. In fact, we need to pull away more often and listen to God. And how many of us have quite frankly just shut God out and put our phones on mute? How many times have you been with someone who has a cell phone and you try to call them? It's a cell phone and they got their phone on mute. It's in their purse somewhere and you've been trying to call them and they're like, well, I turned it off so I wouldn't make a noise. And so you're saying, why do you have a cell phone then? You probably never had that happen between your husband and wife. I've never had that happen. It's like, why do you put it on mute? Why have a cell phone if you don't know when I'm calling? Well, I'll get to it when I'm ready to get to it. And I wonder how many times God has already answered. We muted him out, and we're waiting for this reply from him, and he's already answered. Because we have muted God out by being busy, by shutting him down, by trying to find joy over here in something else, and and by not listening to God. And all the while, God is saying, you know what? Why didn't you just listen to me? Anyhow, Paul says, pray continually. One of the primary reasons we don't pray is because we are self-centered men and women. We think we can do a better job than God can do. And often we stop praying when everything is okay around us. Like, I got a good job, got money in the bank, kids are healthy, I got a flat screen TV. In fact, I got the 60 inch, I'm fine, God. I'll check and talk to you in about three weeks. And so when things around us seem, when we place our contentment in stuff and possessions and occupation and achievements, we easily check out from God when all those things are doing well. And this says we should continually talk to God and listen to him. Prayers give us access and communion with the God of peace and hope and strength. Prayer is a daily reminder that everything is going to be okay. How many times has God used you to answer someone else's request? You see, I'm a firm believer that's how God works. Someone prays and they ask, God, God, I need help with this. God, can you do this for me? And so what God does, he moves in someone else's heart, and they're over here listening to God. They're meditating on his word and they're away from God and they get prompted through the Holy Spirit to go and knock on this person's door, to to send a telephone number, to send them a word of encouragement, to, to buy them something, to care for them, to offer, to be generous, to give wisdom, to give insight. And so often the very people that God wants to answer the prayer, his prayers for us is someone else that's a believer. So listen, if we're all listening, everyone wins. One of, this has happened to you hundreds of times. It's happened to me hundreds of times. But one of the ways I love to remind myself of, and I think it's good to go back here, is when we were in China and we were smuggling Bibles from Hong Kong to China. And there were a group of us, and so every morning we get up, put Bibles on our back. By the way, we're sending another team back to China this year to smuggle Bibles, so you can be part of that. And so we were smuggling Bibles into China, and so you would travel as a team, but you didn't talk 
to the people that were with you when you walked, when you were on the train, you didn't look at them because you didn't want people to be suspicious of you as if you knew them. And so literally, you would leave Hong Kong, Bibles on your back in the backpack, you'd get on a train, you'd show them the passport at the line, the communist guards would be there with their AKs, and, and you would walk through and you were praying and talking to God. And literally, when you walked into communist China, you walked clean out on the street. And in our case, we walked down the street, walked through like a mall complex, and went up to a hotel, and we went up, a bunch of stories. I don't know if it was 9th, 10th, or 11th floor. And best as we knew, we're walking back. We had a room number. And so we'd walk back to this room. And there was the room number. And as best as we knew, the person on the other side of this door would receive us. And so you'd knock on the door. And there stood this Chinese man who didn't speak a word of English. And you're just hoping he wasn't undercover police. And you walk in and you drop off your Bibles. And so you would do that. And then sometimes you would wait for the rest of the team to get there. And sometimes you would leave. On one of the times that we left, I got on the elevator on my way down. There's this guy who got on the floor below me. He came in. He was big, strong. He had an L.A. Raiders shirt on. Huge, big guy. I mean, his biceps were the size of my head. He could squeeze me, just crush me like this. I made sure because of what I was doing, I didn't talk to this man. But we made eye contact. I saw his eyes were bright. Oh, hmm. And I also thought he played for the L.A. Raiders. Big, burly, strong, black gentleman on this elevator. And so I was intrigued by that. So we got back to where we were staying at, and I asked him other people if they saw this guy, and a few did. So God brought this guy to mind. Next day over, or the next time over, we're driving, walking through. I'm walking up the elevator, drop off my Bibles, get back on the elevator, and we walk out to this outside area. And I look across this plaza, and there stands this guy. I mean... He stood out in China. He was heads and shoulders above China, Chinese people. And so I felt prompted by the Spirit to go over and talk to this guy. Just felt the Lord saying, Jim, just go talk to this guy. So I walked across there, and I was careful. And I walked over, and, and there were some others from our team around him. And we began to converse. I was guarded in my conversation because I didn't know if he was undercover. He didn't know I was undercover. So we're talking to each other, and I'm realizing he's doing the same thing I'm doing, trying to be guarded. And so I said, I'm going for it. What's, what's the worst? I get thrown into jail because I'm telling someone about Jesus. What a way to go. And so finally I went for it. And we were there together. All of us were there together. And make a long story short, he was a Christ follower that was in Ch China visiting underground churches like we were. I, we got, I got a chance to preach in underground church in China. And so we were there. He was there trying to encourage. And, and initially he told me, I said, what are you, do, what are you doing? He says, well, my wife... Um, she sells hair extensions. And so I brought a bunch of hair extensions over for China. And so I thought, oh, he's over here. And that, when we got past that, he finally said, I'm here to encourage. But he said, let me tell you something. He said, when I woke up this morning, I thought about giving up. I wondered if God wanted me to continue to come back to China. He said, I was discouraged. I was depressed. And he says, I was laying out in my room that morning. And I prayed to God, God, if you're real and you want me here, please send me a messenger of hope. God, let me know. And so I'm standing there, and we're all standing there. And he said, I just want to let you know, you're the answer to my prayer this morning. Now, think about what all had to take place for that to take place. It's one of the times in my life that I think I might have heard God. But I'm a firm believer that sometimes God is speaking to us to speak into someone else's life, but we're so busy talking and we're so distracted by what's around us that we don't listen and act upon God's will for our lives. 
Prayer is the hinge pin that opens the door of heaven. Plus, let's just keep it practical here. Doesn't every daddy enjoy showing off to his kids from time to time? Come on, dudes, don't we? Isn't it fun? Like, I mean, let me show what I can do. And it's like, we still tell stories that when we're in high school, that, man, they've gotten so much better. I mean, now, like, man, just, it's amazing. Fish are bigger, and we scored more points, and we were, we could out-jump Michael Jordan. And it's just amazing how the stories just get better and better and better with time. But don't we love helping our kids out? Don't we like to show off and say, I'm just doing it because I love you. Don't you think that our Father God sometimes sits in heaven or is in front of us because he's omnipresent and he's manifest presence, he's in our face? Don't you think there's times he's saying, just ask me. Come on, let me flex my muscles a little bit with this. Let me show you what I got. Doesn't a dad like to once in a while send his son on a long pass and say, let me show you, I can still throw it 60 yards. At least I think I can and it goes 30. Don't we like to show it off? Sometimes we neglect this father-son relationship that's out there and father-daughter relationship. I think there's times that God just wants to show off and, and, and come through for us. I love when my kids say, Dad, can you help me? But how many times do we as fathers have, see our children walk through something and we say, why didn't you just ask me? I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have done this. I could have done that. Why didn't you just ask me? Listen, we have a father, God, that is unlimited in his resources, that never slumbers nor sleeps. It's not like he's run out of stuff. And it's not like he's run out of stuff for you. It doesn't like he, he said, all right, that's the four millionth time you've asked me for that. So there's your limit. God's grace has no limits. Besides, have you ever considered this when it comes to communication with God? Do you ever think God just loves to hear us talk to him? Have you ever considered that you can encourage God too? Not that he needs it, but doesn't every father love hearing from his kids? I love you, daddy. I can't tell you how many times, even this week, I received a, a text from my daughter and it was, you know, it was, it was timely. It was, and she just said, she's a freshman in college. And she said this, I love you, dad. It's like, here, take it. <laughs> Seriously, don't you love hearing I love you? Have you ever considered that maybe Jesus and God loves hearing from you when you say, Ah, Abba, Father, I love you. Doesn't every father long to hear that from his kids? You see, sometimes we we over-spiritualize this relationship we have with God, and I know he's, he's God and we're not, but listen to me. He has the attributes that show us, and we have the personality of our God. And if we long to hear that, and we enjoy, and we can encourage, have you ever considered that your communication with God this morning, this evening, will encourage his heart? He doesn't need it, but he enjoys it. I wonder how much time we take just encouraging our Father God. Consider this for a second. Even when Jesus was on earth as the incarnate man and he walked on planet earth, even at his baptism, 
It's the only, or it's the first recorded time that God, Father God, was able to speak to his son. And so Jesus is getting baptized, and the text says that he came up out of the water, and a dove ascended on him. And then we hear, see in Scripture that a voice from heaven spoke, and it said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. It was like all that time, 33 years, it's like God couldn't wait to talk out loud to his son. And the first chance he had, he said, I'm proud of you. If God himself saw the importance of that, don't you think? I do. I think our words encourage our father God. So prayer is a two-way communication. So don't mute him out. And so Paul says, this is God's will for you. And God's will for you is to pray continually. Then he says this, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this is really important here. Sometimes this gets lost in this conversation. And sometimes our theology is really poor when it comes to this verse. And I've heard good people, genuine people, really, really butcher this passage right here. It says this, give thanks in all circumstances. But what it doesn't say is as important as what it does say. It says, give thanks in all circumstances and not for all circumstances. There's a huge difference there between in and for. Those two words carry significant different meaning. It says in the midst of what's happening to us, we can give thanks. We can praise God because we know all the promises of his word. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We also know that, that, that God will be there for us. In Romans 8, he tells he promises to work all things out for good to those that are called according to his purpose and love him. So in the midst of really, really, really horrible, difficult, stressful, challenging times, it says in the circumstance, we can praise God, not for the circumstance. We don't wake up one day and say, God, I praise you that you gave me cancer. I praise you, God, for, for this, this person in my life who, who, who just accuses me and does this to me. God, I praise you for this sickness. No, it says in the sickness and in this difficult relationship and in this job loss and in this really, really difficult time, I praise you not because of what's happening, but because of who you are. There's a huge difference there. And way too often, this verse is butchered in Christendom. I don't wake up and see someone with cancer and say, hey, let's praise God for the cancer. No, I don't. But I say, hey, let's praise God that you're walking through this cancer with the God who created the world and by his stripes you've been healed. And he promises never to leave you nor forsake you in the midst of the circumstance. That's what we praise God for because he never ever reneges on his promises. So Thanksgiving comes as a result of us walking through. We thank God that he'll work it out for good. We thank that it produces perseverance and hope in us. We don't necessarily thank him that, that we have to have this, but we thank him for what it's doing in us. We, in case of injustices in our world, we can be grateful that he will vindicate, that vengeance is the Lord. When we find kids on the other side of the world, we don't say, praise God that those girls are getting raped. We say, praise God, we got a God who will vindicate and find vengeance. 
We can praise him in and not for. And in case of our own poor choices and our heartbreaking situations of sin, we don't praise God for our sin, but we can praise him in it because we can be grateful that he'll forgive our failures and heal our heartache. There are times I thank God through tears through the years. Do I like walking through those times? No. If you do, you're weird. I much rather learn from someone else's mistakes. But I know in the midst of the pain and I know in the midst of the struggle and I know in the midst of whatever it is that my God will never leave me. And I can praise him for that. I can praise him that he promises to turn this thing and shape me and give me character and perseverance. And at the end of this, if we stay the course and we don't bail out, it says that his gives us hope that will not disappoint us. I firmly believe that one of the greatest sins of Christ's followers is ingratitude. You see, Thanksgiving strips us of our worry. We are so oversaturated with the excess of things that it swallows up our thankfulness. And what happens is we see the stuff and we find superficial joy in stuff instead of finding everlasting joy in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when that leaves, thankfulness leaves. And Jesus said, hey, that's not why you have thankfulness. You have thankfulness because I live in you. Ungrateful Christians is a travesty to an unsaved world. It has nothing to do with your income in life either, giving joy and giving thanks. I watch people with very, very little stand in line for food vouchers and are tipped because we only give them $30. I watch people who have millions of dollars, no joy. Wanting more and more and somehow seeking. And I want to say, listen, you'll never find it in stuff. You'll find it in Jesus Christ. You see, we carry a spirit of entitlement that reeks of selfishness. We think we deserve way more than we really do. When we finally come to grips with what we have in Jesus Christ, everything changes. I wonder how guilty we are, myself included, of being ungrateful. Do you realize in 2 Timothy 3, don't turn there in verses 1 through 5, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 says that ungrateful people literally won't make it to heaven. There's a list of sins, and ungrateful is one of them. And then it says, have nothing to do with these people who are ungrateful. I wonder when God looks down and he sees the Christian church who expects, who lives with entitlement, who thinks I need more, how many times we're disappointed because we can't keep up with our neighbors and and someone got something better than us. And I want to say, listen, don't you know what you've been saved from and saved to in Jesus Christ? Isn't that enough? By the way, I think this ungratefulness and lack of thankfulness has been around since Jesus' time. Do you realize that in the gospel, the writers rarely show anyone saying thanks? Do you realize that when the water was turned into wine at the wedding, that no one is recorded to say thank you to Jesus? Do you realize in the feeding of the 5,000, there's no record of anyone saying thank you? 
Do you realize that there's no thanks recorded for the calming of the storm and the disciples thought they might die? They never once said, thank you. How about you? Do you sow thankfulness? Are you a person of praise? Just regularly thanking God? The classic example is found in Luke 17, 11 to 19. There's these 10 lepers. They're walking down the street. Now, you know what leprosy did. It's a flesh-eating disorder. And literally, not only is it a flesh-eating disorder, it takes your nerves and you don't feel pain. I mean, Dr. Brand tells the story of, of people with leprosy. You have no feeling that would be sleeping by lanterns. And because they couldn't feel the pain, it would burn the flesh off of them. And so they didn't feel pain, and they would fall asleep at night in the streets, lepers, and rats would come and eat their flesh, and they didn't even know the rats were there because they had no nerve feelings on the endings of their nerves. And so the lepers were literally the least of the least, and they had to stay in colonies by themselves. In fact, when someone came with near them within a certain distance, they had to yell out, Hey, I'm unclean. Stay away from me. So they had a life of loneliness, a life of separation. And this story says that these lepers are walking along the road, destitute, noses that are peeled away, flesh hanging from their bodies. And Jesus sees them, and they cry out to Jesus, Master, save us. And he does. All ten of them miraculously healed. Limbs have now have flesh on them. Noses grow back. Fingers, they have feeling. They can touch. They can taste. They can smell. Now imagine if that happened to you after years and years of no feeling and being rejected. And it says that nine of the ten ran away and only one came back and said, thank you. And Jesus even says, what about the other nine? And the one that came back was a Samaritan. Gosh, I wonder when he looks at our lives, how many of us are just incredibly blessed by God? We pray, wow, and he answers, thank you, God. And he does this, and he heals that, and he gives us that, and he does this, and we keep running away, and we haven't turned back and said, thank you. That's God's will for your life. We should be people who praise just rips off our lips. When we sing, we should just cut loose. There shouldn't be any reservation, but often even in worship, we stand there, and this is our worship posture. It should just be bubbling out of us. See, what happens is we let the things of the world suppress our joy, and then the world looks at us, and they said, why would I want the God that you have? That's it? Are we any different than the nine thankless lepers? I sometimes wonder if we've lost the awe of our salvation. Listen to me, Grace. I mean this with all my heart. We have some work to do. We're trying to find our joy and thanksgiving and stuff that's outside of Jesus Christ. We don't need anything besides Jesus Christ. You show me a person who's filled with joy and enjoys a rich prayer life, I will show you a very, very grateful person who when bumped into oozes with Jesus Christ. And they speak to everyone with their life because there's this joy and the word of the Lord is in them and indeed they can't keep it in because they know what Christ has done for them. How are you doing with God's will? 
Are you joyful always? Do you pray continually? Do you give thanks in all circumstances? God help us today. I think sometimes, God, we, we've lost sight of how blessed we are. And God, regardless if you take away or you give to us, blessed be the name of the Lord. Regardless of what's happening around us, there's this incredible joy that should be oozing out of us. God, help us to do your will now. Let us be permeated with, by your presence. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.